Hi everyone and welcome to Common Thread. I'm Nena, a Ghanaian Nigerian with a passion for words and moving images. And I'm Yamini, an Indian with a deep interest for all things at the intersection of pop culture and social justice. Hey, um, so it's Hi. been another week-ish. We're recording this a bit earlier. Um, but yeah, how are you doing and how have you been taking care since we last spoke? I am doing fine. Um, it's finally getting a little warmer, uh, which is right on time for Calcutta, which doesn't understand anything but summer. So it's getting warmer and that has coincided with um, a swimming pool. Uh, one of the swimming, uh, swimming pools that I have access to, very luckily, has opened up this week. So that has been uh the big thing for me i i haven't uh i haven't swum in over a year I mean, even before lockdown and i'm someone who as a teenager or even as a kid used to swim a couple of hours a day so i was super excited mostly because i thought this would be something i wouldn't be able to do for a very long time but um the who has said that the virus doesn't like transmit through water it's more about like the swimming pool being crowded and uh, anyway, so I went for, I've now swum three times and the f I didn't think I was going to be that excited. But when I hit the water, if you had seen me underwater, I looked manic because I was so excited. Um, and then I got out of the pool and I got into the shower and I put shampoo in my hands and I went to shampoo my hair and I found I couldn't lift my arms because it had been so long since I had like had a genuine proper workout. Um, but it's been fantastic. So that's been my thing for the week. How about you? Um, I think my thing has been mediocrity, and I will explain. Um, but I think, yeah, just letting things be not great has been like amazing for me this week. So one example is I had like an assignment that was due that I could kind of like do a very terrible job at. Um, and normally I would have Love just those. agonized over it for hours and hours and tried to make it as perfect as possible because surprise, surprise, I'm kind of a perfectionist. But um, it was also like I had a birthday recently and it was also like in the hours leading up to my birthday. So I could kind of decide, okay, do I like agonize over this possibly even into my birthday or do I just let it go and like move on and have a good time? So I chose to move on and yeah, it's been, it's been good. And just with other like presentations and assignments and stuff this week, um, just figuring out like how to get it now, not the best necessarily, but good enough. Um, yeah, has been like a huge stress reliever and has allowed me to focus on like myself and not just deadlines. So yeah, I was saying my thing this week has been, and probably in the weeks following this, uh, has been mediocrity. Well, congratulations, because mediocrity is probably the last word I would ever use to describe you in any way, shape or form. So um, welcome to us mere mortals over here <laughs> who have been mediocre and haven't even been trying not to be for the longest time. But I'm glad, I'm glad to hear you enjoyed your birthday and, you know, uh, realize that your birthday is you know, trumps anything else, basically. You know how I feel about birthdays. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, birthdays um, are the best. 
They're the best. Uh, so today's topic is uh, maybe a little unusual, but it is study styles. And I think I was saying this to you earlier, but I think that a lot of the most of the episodes that we've done so far actually do have a common thread. And the common thread is that all of these things have been um, have been issues or have been topics that you and I kind of bonded on and became friends by discussing and study styles was not even so much something we discussed, but it was like the, an active way of life for us because both of us were uh, trying to complete our MPhils as solid last minute students. Like, oh my God, the deadline of our dissertation was a joke. It was um, such a joke. I think I started working on it like the month before, like suddenly researching yes. and writing. Yeah. I don't even want to admit when I started working on mine, so we're just going to skirt over that like particularly hairy part of my academic past. Um, but yeah, then we, I think we then did like have like a very in-depth discussion about this because uh, we both, I think, had high pressure environments in terms of academics to varying degrees and at varying times in our lives. Um, but what was, what uh, did you like, actively hone a study style like how do you feel about yours what was it like when you were growing up mm. um yeah I was still when I was growing up I don't know if I actively honed one I think the probably my parents and my siblings tried to get me to actively hone one I don't know if that worked um yeah, so for instance, my mother would do this thing where she would make us have like prep the nights before school. So on school nights from 7 to 9, you were supposed to be at the table reading. Um, I don't necessarily know if I did that justice. Um, but I would say how things worked for me. Mm, okay, so growing up, first of all, I felt like at least until high school, a lot of the education system was like, wrote memorization same um, absolutely so same. then you would yeah. have to just like memorize the definition and then on the exam like reproduce exactly what was in the textbook to the yep. degree that i feel like sometimes even if you had an explanation for something that made sense so long yep. as it was not what was in the textbook it could still be marked wrong um so yeah, the, that system was okay. I'm not the greatest at memorizing, especially if something isn't interesting to me. Um, so I think maybe the first time I began to, again, not hone, but realize a study skill was when I went to high school because it was a slightly different curriculum. And there it was a bit more about like, there was still some memorizing, but also processing and interpreting and analyzing. Um, and there I realized that one way I learned things was to make stories out of them, so to like narrativize them. Um, and so I was really good at like social sciences and humanities, so your history, your geography, etc. But I was also really good at bi um, biology um, because I could turn everything in my mind into stories. So like if we had a test on the digestive system, I would like put it in my mind as a story of somebody taking a bite of something and like how that, like the different organs that bite would pass through and the different enzymes it would meet, etc. Um, so yeah, I 
then I realized that like making things a story made it a lot easier for me to remember. I also realized that hearing was like my way of learning. So I would just sit in front and really pay attention in class and take notes. And then also like whenever we would have a test, I could almost hear the professor's voice in my head, like repeating what they had said in class um, that day. So yeah, I'm gonna stop here, but this is kind of how I got by as a kid. Um, how about you? What were some of your earlier study styles? I mean, I'm like amazed because uh, we're actually very similar. I also tend to respond uh, very strongly to like audiovisual aids or like, so I, I, even for me in law school, like that has been 90% of my work is be taking classes really seriously especially if you have like a great professor or an engaging professor I find that you know hearing someone talk about something because I myself am such like a chatterbox as any I mean I'm on a podcast so you can imagine <laughs> but uh yeah as someone who like loves to talk and loves to converse if someone can like effectively uh kind of disseminate information that way I'm I tend to absorb it uh it's more about retention as well. Like I tend to absorb it in a way that I remember it. It's the same thing that you're saying. My recall is that much better as opposed to when I read something. So I would find that I would be able to like memorize very quickly, but I wouldn't be able to retain. So my short term memory was great, but my long term memory was terrible. So if I kind of like, that's kind of where my last minute studying came into play, because similarly for me, most, not most, all of my school life from age three to 18, was rote learning, primarily rote learning. And so the best thing to do would be to kind of like rote learn the night before because I could then reproduce it on a paper the next day and then it was gone. It was out of my system. So I feel like there are so many things that I actually learned at some point. And by learned, I mean memorized, but I don't remember them at all anymore because I learned them specifically for the purpose of, you know, reproducing them verbatim the next day on a test. Yeah. And because I wouldn't revise and because I wouldn't like consistently study over, you know, a number of days because it was easier for me to actually achieve the results I wanted by doing it, you know, really last minute. Um, I, yeah, there's like a lot of stuff that's just like, you'd be surprised like if you ask me some like very basic questions, it's kind of blank. And I also think it probably has led to like my obsession with analysis later on in my academic career like I loved as I mean again this is what this entire podcast is about I love to analyze everything because I feel that that was something that I really wanted to do mm-hmm. and that our education system didn't necessarily allow for that I was I mean I had a lot of freedom at home or in conversations or in social situations for that to like come up but it wasn't necessarily taken seriously as an academic pursuit to analyze till I was you know in as till I was in my uh undergraduate uh you know years so that that's been my experience yeah I agree with that I I think I was like in a rote memorization memorization um system from three to fourteen and so then from 14 onwards, and especially in undergrad, I like was suddenly in a situation where, for instance, I would always take classes where they didn't have prompts and where you could, like, the only thing you had to do at the end of the semester was write an essay. It was, like, incredibly freeing because then you got to decide, like, what your topic was, what your analysis would be, etc. 
Um, but then I found that I did very well with that day because as long as I had time, I would find something, yeah, and do the work and like write it. So even though it's a way of thinking that I probably came later to, later than, I don't know, people in other education systems, um, I, I think it's something that I ended up doing very well in. And so much so that like, I don't know if you remember, but during the MPhil, I was so stressed because we would have an exam with questions that would be like, it would be something super specific, like write about the differences between like British colonialism and French colonialism or list the like advantages yeah. and disadvantages of X historical topic. And I was just so frustrated. I was like, how are we master students and you're telling us exactly what to write? Like this essay is so predictable. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily, maybe there was some room to be free, um, but I was just like, suddenly felt very trapped by, yeah, that way of being. These like, questions which had a supposed answers as opposed to like a free form research paper. Yeah, yeah. 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 And by then I hadn't had the, these like questions since high school. So it's like, what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I found that like for me, I had a slightly different experience with that. I actually really enjoyed the essays and I think that it was because A, they were shorter. Like I liked kind of like con condensed writing. Like I don't like writing massive projects as I discovered while doing the MPhil. Um, I really, I mean, I found that very um, kind of like disorienting and also I think I was the only person in the program who hadn't done a dissertation in my undergrad which we can talk about as to why that didn't happen at a later date but um so I felt very like at sea with that but so I think there was a certain amount of comfort with the shorter essays but what I liked about it is that it actually combined the two education systems that I had like been in so there was a sense of familiarity and there was also a sense of like I can actually enjoy this so it was kind of like a guided question but there wasn't necessarily you know, a book from which I could find specific answers. Like I did have to kind of come up with those on my own. So that that actually I really enjoyed. I remember you. I I couldn't understand why you were so stressed until like you explained it to me. It was so funny, but um yeah. But I I that was probably my. I also I think did the best in that space of the MPhil, which is interesting to like look back on. Um, but um so how, what about in terms of we talked, this was actually how we got started. Like, did did you find that people, especially in like, you were have been mostly in academic institutions that are very competitive, uh, very uh, world-renowned, intense, whatever you want to call it. Um, and did you find that there was a lot of pressure in terms of even how you studied for things? Like, people kind of like pointing out maybe even your methodology like I know that there's a lot of pressure when it comes to just like how many hours and those kind of things like how many hours did you put in and you know the your the grades you get and all of that kind of stuff but um what about like your specific study style um there was some pressure and how I dealt with it was by avoiding it so <laughs> classic so for instance um I don't know I would there was a lot of pressure in concentrations that were very popular so there was a lot of pressure for people who were like pre-med or people who were studying like I don't know like government or people in like big departments um so there would be a lot of them like studying in the d-hall together and discussing tests etc etc um 
and I think I just realized that it was too, that was too much and that stressed me out. Maybe also because I had just been coming from a high school in Ghana that would have like four to 12 people in a class. So suddenly these oh, wow. huge lectures that would have these huge tests that would then be curved. So then your grade actually depended on like what the class got. Um, right. It was just too much. So the first semester I took some of these like big classes, also psychology, and I just realized it was too much, it wouldn't work. Um, and so then after that, I kind of like pivoted away from these huge competitive situations. And I started looking for classes, but also departments that were very small. Right. Um, so that would have, again, like four to 10 people in a class. I also did a lot of like independent study classes that were just me and the professor or me and one other person and the professor. Um, so yeah, in that way then, I guess I eventually shifted to a focus where like the assignment was my assignment and maybe I discussed mm -hmm. with a lot of other people but there was no comparison and no pressure and yeah, I could just kind of <laughs> go away and like be on my own and do something. Um, I think this right. was like, it was perfect for me. It was challenging for like whoever was supervising me if they wanted to be incredibly involved um, because I just yes. don't work that way. <laughs> I'm going to go yeah. away and do my own thing and then like towards the end I'm going to come and we can discuss it. I think I'm good at like, so then I'm good at having conversations at the very beginning about expectations. I will disappear yeah. um, and yeah. then at the end we can talk about it again. Because also if I talk about somebody, if I talk with somebody about something in the middle of a process, it confuses me and it throws me off. Um, and I kind of forget my own ideas and just have their feedback. Um, so yeah, this generally worked because most of the people I worked with were like very busy anyway and trusted me. Um, it was a bit different for the masters because we just had nine months and it was like a professor yeah. I never worked with. And she would always make jokes about like how I was her most independent student. And I couldn't <laughs> tell if this was like, you lovingly or yeah i don't know if it was like, just like a statement of fact if she was a bit salty about it and like wow you didn't ask for help for anything um <laughs> but yeah i didn't need much um yeah so just to wrap up there was competition but i think i just like steered clear of it because maybe in some way i recognized that i wouldn't do well with it yeah. yeah. How about you? Smart. I'm, I'm curious, yeah, <laughs> how you approach the same question in terms of like working with other people through different education systems and like different pressures from other people and different judgments. And I'm also curious about how it's changed or if it's changed um, in law school specifically versus in every other like domain. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I had a very interesting experience in my in my undergraduate um, when I was an undergrad, where there was like some kind of celebration or people were a little bit impressed by my studying last minute because they couldn't like fully they were like, Oh, that must mean that you're like super smart. And so you only need half the time I need. And I'm like, No, it, I literally can't sit down unless I feel that like panic set in and as we've discussed and then I have like this concentrated burst of energy and then I'm like completely exhausted at the end of it so if I had like a lot of assignments back to back those used to be brutal because I had not worked on them from before most of the time um, and it ended up becoming a uh, 
almost like I didn't know how to work on something from before. And I also had like a similar experience first because I, I generally am someone who is very open about, uh, I think, asking for help. Like I tend to be like, okay, I need help with this and I'm just going to ask. Um, uh, and, but when it came to the academic institutions outside of my home, I literally didn't know how to do the whole office hours thing where you go in and you kind of like have a topic and you discuss it. I would like be very panicked about that because I always felt that I had to go to a teacher with something fully formed because it would inform their impression of me. I think that there are all of these, we have like very different relationships with our teachers, um, you know, in, in different cultural contexts and things like that. So I didn't really understand the concept of like going in and like having a chat that changed over my time while I was there because I had great professors and they were very supportive and that was kind of the environment. And, you know, you could, I kind of figured out like how to do that. But in terms of like competitiveness, um, law school is, also because I'm in, I'm doing law in India, it is, it is quite competitive. And I think in India, we, it's just generally the competitive aspect of it has so much to do with numbers because it's just a basic thing of, there are so many of us and there are only so many spots. Um, and then add into that certain like types of professions, which are notorious for being for attracting type A personalities and competitive people. Law is definitely one of those. So I think it's a culture, it's a combination of not just the profession, but the cultural context of the profession. Where in India, I think people are like, you're, and it's not it's not the fault of young people. It's something that's kind of like inculcated in you. People are obsessed with their marks because that number can literally decide you know, which college you get into, whether you get a job, like it is all based on a very, you know, the specifics of the numbers that you get. And people, um, and because of that, even though logically you, anyone can understand that there are so many factors that would contribute to how you do on a test and what marks you get, people place a huge amount of value in those marks and your intelligence. So I, because I went into my uh, in, went to studying law like kind of later on in life, I like had made a very conscious decision not to talk about marks at all. So I it's like a running joke within amongst my friend groups where I like I unless the professor like posts it and then everyone can see, I literally do not discuss my grades because it is such a intense space and I myself still carry those ideas about marks like if I don't get a certain grade I it's not that I am like immune to what that feels like or that I don't kind of like feel bad about it like I, I just feel that I have the consciousness to kind of like talk myself down from that which a lot of people um, don't have because they've been part of the system for so long um, so yeah, so there, there, there is a lot of competitiveness, but it, it manifests very differently and it's very brazen here. I think it's, I think in, in my undergraduate institution, it was more, uh, well, I should just say college. I don't know why I'm saying anyway, when like my undergrad, like college, it was more kind of like skirting around it because people didn't want to be seen as those kind of like competitive types. And so you wouldn't necessarily know that about a person and then they would kind of like do something slightly sneaky. And then you'd be like, oh, you also really, really care about this. Um, yeah, but here it's just like, it's very, very brazen. Like it is what it is. And I, I kind of prefer that because you know exactly where a person is coming from. Yeah, 
I think well two things one that makes me think I guess in undergrad it was also brazen because everybody almost everybody was this kind of type A person yeah but I could kind of like stay out that stay out of that lane because they were all like type A pre-med or whatever and I was like in my bubble studying like history or anthropology or film um and so then yeah it just like nobody would ask me what my grades were Versus when you were saying about like avoiding having this rule, that's something I'm trying to have now. Um, because for instance, I'm doing a PhD and you take some classes at the beginning, but the grades don't matter um, or shouldn't matter. Um, yeah. But I think my, for instance, my parents are still like very used to like how you measure school is great. Yeah. Um, so they would still ask, like, oh, what grades, like, last semester was my first semester, oh, what grades did you get? And I feel like it doesn't matter. But I'm still trying to, like, navigate how to, like, tell people not to ask me about grades. Or be like, yeah. no, I'm not, I'm not answering this, I'm not talking about this. Um, so yeah, it's like, I will ask you for tips later, but... Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just, too. yeah. I, I, like, I feel like with parents and stuff, things are, like, obviously different and like a completely different context but with my classmates it I mean there were certain people who were really really aggressively upset that I would not share my grade because and I think that like I just didn't want to want to have my grades like I I, I told a friend of mine that like if you think I'm intelligent you think that like regardless of what like you don't know my grades so I think that's also like an interesting thing where without knowing how someone has done in school of any kind you have a certain you will automatically have a certain opinion about how intelligent you think they are and I think that's really interesting because I think we're so used to equating the two that when you don't know that about someone and you have like a certain perception of them um, it can kind of like really make you reevaluate especially if there's someone who you think is super intelligent and then you find out that they like you know failed out of a bunch of yeah. you know programs and things like that which is like every genius that we now know <laughs> that's the story right where they like yeah. couldn't be in those kind of restricted learning environments so but I think that's valuable yeah and it made me think like about you saying I don't know the two, two different ways of evaluating um I found that that was also <laughs> that's also been an interesting transition um so like being in, I don't know how to make this make sense, but you know there are all these stereotypes about kids who are very good in school and then you grow up yeah. and then you don't know what to do um, because you're used to being appreciated or rewarded in a certain way. Um, right. And then in the real world, it's not really the same and that gets taken away somewhat. So I think it's also been for me like an interesting change of like how... One, how else do you evaluate yourself? Or two, what about not evaluating yourself um, yeah. after like years and years of report cards at the end of the semester, etc.? Yeah, there is um, one of the college. I went to a college which was part of a five college consortium. And I think one of the colleges didn't do grades. They would like, the professors would write kind of like a kind of like a paragraph or two about the student like as a person and how they performed and stuff like that so I mean my like very very much marks oriented Indian upbringing like just 
I know logically that that's like a great thing, mm-hmm. but I'm also like, but but like, how did I do? You know, like yeah. what, you know, I I myself like need <laughs> that kind truth? of like. What is the truth? Like, but what? How much did I get out of? Like, if you were going to grade me out of ten, how much would I have got? So I, I, re- I recognize that like that's a lot of my conditioning, and it is what it is, and it's a part of who I am. But yeah, I think yeah, I uh, uh, I feel like I just feel that I just want to all like point this out that for us, at least for me, when we were in college together and we fu- we discussed this last minute thing, I found it incredibly validating because up until then I was like, wow, I'm like I know I'm doing this wrong. And I don't know how I've made it. Like my imposter syndrome was on another level. And I was like, I don't understand how I've like managed thus far. And then to find someone who had like, you know, the the CV that you do doing the same thing was very reassuring. So. No, for me, I mean, I think we're very similar in that I also thrive with this like last minute pressure. Um, yeah. And so if I have to write something, I will write it at the end. Um, but I think I also think about this, or maybe this is me reassuring myself, that even though I'm not writing before, I'm still thinking about it and still planning and maybe reading things from it so that when I sit down to write, um, it's really just to put the words on the page. So I already would like ideally know at least what I'm going to write and like who I'm citing and Same. what my argument is and what the first paragraph, second paragraph is going to be. Um, so then I've kind of been like, yeah, so it's fine. (laughs) I will put it to the page at the end. Um, but this has been a challenge for me, um, this year, uh, with the PhD, just because I guess my style of writing works for big writing projects, but we have to do a lot of like weekly response things. I don't know if it's like a general PhD thing or a pandemic thing. Because a part of me also mm-hmm. suspects that it's, I don't know, maybe professors not being that comfortable with Zoom and needing a way to make sure we're learning things. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's because you if it's due in a week, you can't really take all that time to think about it and plan. So that was really scary for me at the beginning and incredibly stressful last semester. Um, I think I'm getting a bit more used to it now. Um, so there's some growth already. And then I think another thing that's changed a lot, um, is I'm actually like having to unlearn like a lot of this like consideration I would have about things I'm reading or writing. Um, because we're also reading a lot of this like really old stuff from late 1800s or the 19 whatevers. And it's often written by a lot of like <laughs> old white European men talking about other cultures and using things like primitives and different slurs and like generalizing and it's very gross. Yeah, it's incredibly gross, frustrating, etc. And I think before I couldn't read it because it would frustrate me so much in terms of like why are we reading this in twenty twenty one, like why are these people considered canon, etc. And I think the past few months, especially, I've learned, like, in order to, like, play the game and so here they're not great, but there's, like, a way of en- engaging the text. You should engage them and not just dismiss them. I don't agree so with, but... True. <laughs> so true. So true. That is 
fantastic. Yeah. That's, yeah. I think, I think some really people like, need to be thrown away. But anyway, I realized that in order for me to like do that and do that dance, I just have to like kind of be disembodied somehow. So just read it as like a... I don't know, like a thing that I'm reading and don't allow myself to think about it too much or to care yeah. about it. They have to be very nonchalant and... Yeah, and to engage with it to a certain extent. Yeah, and at a distance. Yeah. Um, at a distance, yeah. At a yeah. huge distance. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's no, also, but... yeah, that's also been a change that I've made and I can see like it really resulting in better feedback again i don't know if it's a thing that i want to keep um right because i would like to like bring my whole self to whatever text i'm engaging with but yeah for now i realize it doesn't work um and but then I, the, I, I guess you oh, could view ahead. it as like a no sorry you could view it as like a means to an end and exactly. also it could be a skill that you could transpose to something else yeah, exactly. I feel like that's probably yeah because you can like definitely not have to engage with it when you are doing work that is just on your own terms mm -hmm. but yeah for the purposes of you know getting that degree I think yeah. it's like a valuable thing to be able to to kind of manipulate yourself into doing stuff like that yeah I think even later like I think once I start even writing my PhD I'm not using any of this so it's helpful to get through the classes now um and get through them well and then the last thing I will say, I don't know if this is quite steady still, but a different way of engaging also recently is like there's, I don't want to call it like, there's like a kind of confidence that sometimes seems performed. So even if you're not quite sure like what, what you're reading or writing or talking about, I feel like there's an extent, and maybe it's training for being academics, but where you have to like seem very confident and seem like you know and seem like everything is polished, even if sometimes you're pretending. Um, yeah, this is also something I'm not sure I would want to keep. I, uh, maybe when I'm actually confident in what I'm doing, I would want to keep it. Now, because I know that I'm not, it feels incredibly fake and disturbing. Um, but yeah, that's also been like a way of of studying that has been yeah, yeah. rattling for me. I don't this, know what it's like for you. you. Have. Yeah, this is a problem you have because you're very much the real deal. Whereas I feel that a lot of, like for me also, I sometimes felt that I kind of faked it to get to a point until I got to the point where I knew what was happening. Mm. And I think that that is a, a very, very transferable skill in a lot of other situations where it doesn't feel disingenuous, but it feels like a very important thing to have to kind of be taken seriously in a situation where you will not be taken seriously unless you project that. Yeah. And I think that is an important thing. So yeah. like to recognize when it's like disingenuous and fake and makes you like, oh, feel all uncomfortable and you don't really want to be in that space. But then also be in a situation where you can kind of like practice it and then use it in situations where otherwise no one is really going to be interested in anything you have to say or you're mm. not going to be given a certain opportunity even though you deserve that opportunity because you appear as though you don't like fulfill their idea of what you're how confident you're supposed to be so yeah. I think yeah, yeah like it's a it's a I think it's an important like transferable skill so you don't have to feel terrible about it like it, it's important <laughs> for you to have no it's really in other important situations. Yeah. yeah and I'm gonna try and, and get used to yeah. it more um yeah um, I mean we will we should wrap up soon but I'm curious if it's been the same for you, like in law school or 
I don't know if you go to court yet, but like having to like seem super confident. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, there is, I mean, I'm also very interested in being in litigation and litigation is also about presentation, a huge part of it. So it fulfills my, like my, the performer in me, as you know, I'm like constantly, uh, performing whether anyone's watching or not so I think there is that aspect to it but it's it's in a very um it can it can sometimes be not great and disingenuous and all of those things but actually it's part of the craft that you're trying to hone like court craft is a thing of like how you present something and how you communicate it and how you make it come across a certain way because Mm -hmm. you are trying to tell a very specific story yeah. So I think of it more in terms of like storytelling and stuff like that. And and I agree with you in that there are certain situations in which you find that that's kind of what you're being pushed to do. And it's actually a terrible, like there are some places where that is not a good thing to do to kind of like project that confidence because it has also, it has an effect on other people who have no idea. And then they think that you are kind like it can, it can become a very uncomfortable environment for people mm-hmm. who are feeling really insecure and have no idea how to kind of like pretend to know what what's happening like that in itself is also a skill so in those places it's not great but I think in the profession I'm going into it's definitely a part of that like it's kind of theatrical almost Mm -hmm. so I I like I like that perspective of it like that aspect of it I think is is an important skill um, and, and can be a very fun one and also in the with the assumption that everyone is doing the same thing because you're all up there arguing so everyone is kind of like engaging in that. So no one takes it to in a, in the literal sense. Yeah. If that makes sense to you. No, that makes a lot of sense. I like this idea of it as like an art or like a craft. Um, yeah. That's so true. Yeah. And I feel like you were, it's also one that you are like also uniquely suited for because you're an incredible Thanks. storyteller. Thank you very much. I will take that compliment. It's my fa- it's if any when people say that to me, it's one of the favorite things anyone has ever said to me. Yeah. Is to tell me that I'm. I think it's just like it's such a compelling thing because, I mean, what is life without storytelling? Mm-hmm. So I love I love that uh, you said that. Um, but my so the last thing I wanted to ask you before we we kind of uh, bring this to an end is. Uh, I don't know if you've discussed this earlier on in any of the other episodes, but just uh, just to tell everyone what your PhD is in, so that they have some context. Oh, you can I'm, just give a broad, like, just a subject, but... I'm absolutely still figuring this out. Um, I think at the moment, I'm interested in, <laughs> like, memorial cultures. So I'm interested in how, from the present day, people are remembering or commemorating the transatlantic slave trade and also colonialism. Mm. Yeah, I think it's like performed in certain ways sometimes that are interesting, in, whether in Ghana, Nigeria, and Germany, whatever. So I'm studying some of these things. That's amazing. And I, I mean, just to clarify, you are a person who wears many hats. So there is the anthropologist, there is the filmmaker, there is the writer, there is the artist. So just so that everyone can get a, a full picture of all of the things that you're interested in. Yeah. And also, if we uh, if we continue this trend of discussing things that um, we're going to be, that we kind of like connected on in college, our next episode should definitely have something to do with colonialism. It but I don't should. know how we're going to feel about that in a week, but... 
and I feel like out there. It should, and I feel like it's in. I slide it into every episode anyway, so yeah. But do you want to also That's take cool. a second to say something about what you're doing? I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm just like I'm. I'm a m- couple of months away from finishing my law degree. That's about it. So, yeah. There's more than that. What kind of law are you interested in? Um, What kind of law am I not interested in is a shorter list. So as I said, like the form in which I want to practice it is very much in litigation. Um, I, my first, like the first thing that I was interested in was constitutional law, which is essentially rights-based law. So that's probably where my heart lies. I also find intellectual property rights very fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I've recently discovered, um, you know, niche areas such as admiralty law and things like that. So, yeah, so it's all over the place. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Nice. So to end the way we end every episode, um, what is your pop culture moment? Mm. Uh, okay, one... I've, I'm, my pop culture moment is that it's February, which is Black History Month or Black Features Month. Um, it's been an interesting one in lockdown because normally I would be going to a lot of events and stuff. And I just don't do as many digital events in lockdown as a rule. So I haven't done as much. Um, but yeah, just like still recognizing that it is Black History Month and figuring out ways to celebrate it. Um, one of which is like low-key self-promotion, <laughs> but last year for Black History Month, I had had an exhibition um, with a friend and collaborator and we had done an exhibition about like how black women and non-binary people in Berlin are taking care of themselves, like the experiences with healthcare, but also how they're taking care of themselves. And yeah, that closed just before COVID, it was for a month. But anyway, now one of the videos we made for the exhibition is online. Um, so yeah, it's it's. I think that's what reminded me about Black History Month, the fact that it's yeah. like the anniversary of this exhibition. Yeah. So. Uh, can you can you give people details as to where they can see that? <laughs> Come on. Um, put it out there. Okay, it's on the website of this gallery called Alpha Nova and Gallery Futura. I can put a link on somewhere. Yes, yes. <laughs> on Instagram. Wow, maybe. that was, I mean, that is like, talk about sidestepping. I'll put a link somewhere. <laughs> a the link, link will be emerges. made available. No, I mean, I will do it. I will try and get okay. over my discomfort of like, one, I've had to talk about my PhD and then I haven't had to mention this film. But yeah, yeah. gross. Um, what's been <laughs> your pop culture moment this week? <laughs> Oh my god, mine is so silly. I found this, like, my friend sent me this Instagram video. I'm so into this right now, where there's this just this guy who imitates Kira Knightley. And he does, like, just a random bunch of different things imitating Kira Knightley. It is uncanny how accurate it is. And it's hilarious. And he uses the same vocabulary in every video, um, but, like, just changes the context. It's re- I don't know. It's so silly. And especially after, like, your very interesting and important <laughs> pop culture moment. It's so... But, yeah, I mean, I feel like these are the things that also keep, have, as we've said multiple times before, kept us going during the lockdown. No, um, I love this. I, Please send it to me. 
Yeah, I will. And again, I will like maybe shout out. Uh, I don't remember his Instagram handle, but I will shout it out on um, on our Instagram account. Yeah, I will also send you. I saw this video yesterday of this person who was imitating Nigella Lawson. It's so good. Oh, he he does. He is it. Uh, is it Luke something? Because he does Nigella Lawson as well. Yeah, it might be the same person. Let's yeah, I'll send it to you. Yeah. And if okay, not, great. we have, like, new funny videos. Yes, and then that will be my pop culture moment for next <laughs> week. <laughs> okay, um, yeah, thanks everybody for listening. Um, I feel like we should be... I need to figure out how to be more intentional about, like, what people can do to support us. Um, but, uh, yeah, wherever you're listening, subscribe if you've enjoyed the episodes until this point and leave us a rating and... Yeah, tell people about us. Um, you can also find and send us, us suggestions. Oh yeah, send us suggestions yeah. for things you would like us to talk about. Um, we've had some lately, which has been cool. But please send us more. And yeah, you can find us on Instagram. We are at Common Threadcast. Yeah. Thank you very much, everyone. <laughs> Thank See you, you next week. Bye.